was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 3, Episode 5. The pattern is very tricksy. It's so good to be with you again, ready to talk more Wheel of Time. My name is Justin, and as always, I couldn't do this show without my good friend, Stephen. Stephen, how are you tonight, buddy? I am terrific. Happy to be here, jump into a uh, a new set of heads for the night, and uh, just get going into uh, uh, move forward in the story. All right, man. I'm I'm looking forward to get getting into it. Uh, we are. Uh, in the holiday season, officially, uh, by the thing when this comes out, we'll be well into December. And uh, have you have you watched the uh, Star Wars holiday special yet this year? I have not yet this year. <laughs> uh, there's actually several things. Uh, we have recently started watching that new uh, the Santa Claus TV show oh, okay. that's come out on Disney Plus. Yeah. Uh, do Do you actually watch the Star Wars holiday special? Not every year. Oh, okay. I have watched it, oh, but I oh, don't watch well, it every year. You, you've done better than I have, because I, I found it on YouTube once, and <laughs> I, I didn't get very far. I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, it it's was, pretty bad. It was the worst. But there is the um, the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. is actually pretty good, if you haven't seen that oh. yet. It's, it's, about, okay. uh, it's about 45 minutes, and wow. uh, it, it's, it's cute. It's fun. Um, and, uh, also, um, have you watched the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special? I have not yet. I that saw was... that it's on there, but I haven't got to see it yet. Yeah, we watched it over the weekend, and, uh, it was pretty good, too. Yeah, um, I've been looking forward to it, because I, I enjoy that, the world that James Gunn has built for the Guardians, yeah. so. Yeah, what they really did, like, I think they tried to capture some of what the Star Wars special was supposed <laughs> to be, like, there's... There's bits of animation, there's musical numbers, um, you know, huh. that kind of thing. But it's a thousand times better. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the Star Wars special done right. Right, right. It, it was a lot okay. of fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I, I highly recommend, listeners, if you haven't seen it yet, if you have Disney+, Plus, go and check out the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. It's a lot of fun. And it, it was it was relatively short, less than an hour. Hey, and so. Disney, if you're listening, sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's happening. No, but, that but is, hey! <laughs> that is going down as an episode title. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, you about ready to get into it tonight? I think so. All right, we will be tonight or this week, uh, listeners... We will be in The Dragon Reborn, chapters 10 through 12. That's our intent, anyway. We'll see if we can get through all of that in a decent amount of time. I think we'll be able to do it, but you never know where the discussion's going to take us. 
So uh, if you haven't read those chapters yet, go ahead and do that. And um, we'll be here waiting for you when you get back. But let's go ahead and move on into chapter 10, Secrets. As Egwene and her company approach Tarvalin, there's a sense of trouble in the air. With Matt's condition getting worse, they don't have time to deal with White Cloaks, and they send most of a band running with a few eruptions of Earth. But the White Cloak commander, a certain Dane Bornhold, is determined to see the end of the Tarvalin witches. Well, you already said it, but uh, new perspectives. Yep. Uh, we are in Egwene's head for two of these chapters, and um, the last one is a, a different perspective as well. We'll talk more about that when we get there. Um, but here we have Egwene, Elaine, Nynaeve, Varen, Huron, and a very sick Matt yeah. on their way to Tarvalin. And, and I just want to mention, I think we need to mention how sick Matt is. Uh, yeah. I guess I guess if 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 you're reading along, you know that there are times within this chapter they're afraid he may have only hours to live. Yeah. So it is definitely a desperate situation. But that's not the only thing that has our um, band of four women and two men a little bit concerned. Uh, it seems like nearly everybody in the group is sensing some kind of trouble. As they yep. draw closer to Tarvalin, and I'm actually going to go a little out of order of what I put on the dock. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did it out of order on the dock, and now I'm going to go out of that order. So let's start with Egwene. And the reason I want to start with her is hers is a little bit different than the other two, I think. Because what Egwene um, is. First of all, she's still dealing with her trauma. Yeah, I and think that, that's, that's gonna that's gonna come up later in the chapter. Um, several times in this chapter, she says something or thinks to herself, like, "I'll never be collared again." Yeah, or I won't lose my freedom. I won't be chained. So that that's worth mentioning. But she's Egwene has been having uh, disturbing dreams. Yeah, some of which relate to the. The Sean Chan says they wake her up sweating, and but then she's having more and more dreams about Rand, yeah, and seeing him both running towards something and running away from something. And I guess I got the sense that she thinks that you know she it's causing her to worry about Rand. I think that's the the safest thing we can say. Yeah. So she doesn't really know, like, obviously she doesn't have a feeling for exactly what is happening, but she just, it's enough to leave her feeling troubled and worried. Um, like, it's not like a men viewing where she knows exactly what's happening or why. Yeah. Uh, it's much more vague than that. And I mean, and you know, with, with the possibility, and you know, no real proof of it yet, the possibility she could be a dreamer. Yeah. So I do think a lot of what's happening with her right now, like you said, is does stem from the fact that she's basically suffering from like an extreme case of PTSD right now. She really is. And, and, it's, and, it's, and she 
Go ahead. Sorry. She probably will be for quite a while. It's yeah. not just going to magically get better, just like it wouldn't in re- the real world. Well, that's that's just the thing is that's not something that just magically gets better. Yeah. Um, it's a very real problem that that people deal with, or I, I shouldn't say maybe problem isn't the right word. An ailment. It's 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 a sickness yeah. of of sorts. Um. You know, that invades, doesn't invade the body so much as it invades the mind, but it's, it's a terrible thing. And, and my heart breaks for Egwene that she's dealing with it so badly. Yeah. Um, and it does affect some decisions that she makes. Yeah. And, so. and to, you know, I really like Elaine, um, Varen and Nynaeve, but I will have to say it is a negative on them at this point how little they're doing to try and like help her. Like they're treating her like everything should just be hunky dory. Um, You don't see a lot of like, you know, she's dealing with this on her own. And part of that I'm guessing is probably because she's not expressing this to other people. But at the same time, Nynaeve's known her since she was a toddler. She should know something's up and should be there. Like, you know, I guess well, Elaine and Nynaeve are not being the best of friends right now. Yeah, in so many ways, Nynaeve is treating Egwene like she's still a toddler. Yeah. She's she's very much still trying to, and and in some ways maybe it's a good thing, but in many other ways she's failing her. You know, she's still trying to act like the wisdom of Emmons Field. Yeah. Um, and she's not anymore. And Egwene, in her own head, points that out. Um, that that's, yeah. that's not the way... Their relationship goes anymore. Let, let's let's move on. Let's talk about Huron. Um, okay, he was the last one mentioned in the the actual text, but I want to talk about him next because I want to talk about Nynaeve last. Uh, okay, <laughs> but uh, which with uh, Huron, and I put I had put him first in the doc originally because I guess we kind of expect this from Huron, right? Because we know that he's a sniffer. Yeah, we know he can sense where violence has been done, and so in a way, he can sense where there's danger. Um, so nothing other than the fact of what it is that he's doing. Nothing super remarkable about. No, what he's just in a doing. very he's in a very awkward position because it where he's from in the borderlands, being a sniffer is something that the men understand. They know it's not a thing of channeling. But the rest of the world, it's this, you know, if he was in tear, that might be considered channeling enough to see him dead. And so he's always, even way back when we first meet him, he's concerned about Aes Sedai and like them thinking he needs to be gentled. Um, And so now nobody in the, the only person who has any idea of what he actually can do as a sniffer is Matt. Baron may have figured it out, but he hasn't told her. And so he's trying to warn them periodically of things that he shouldn't have any idea about without leading on to what he is, because he's afraid if he does, since Baron's there and those girls are going to be Aes Sedai, that they'll do something to him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I would say Varen has definitely figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure. But, um, you know, in his mind, he, he probably still thinks he's keeping his secrets. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was actually wondering about that. Why he? What your thoughts were on why he was being so guarded about yeah. that? But that makes perfect sense. That it's not something that's known throughout yep. the world, and 
especially getting so close to Tar Valen, um, mm-hmm. which may in part explain why later on he's so quick to get out of there. Yeah, <laughs> it, it you know it's just the same as like what happened with Elias when he found out he was a wolf brother. Even though it has nothing to do with channeling, the Red Sisters wouldn't hear it, and we're gonna basically try and gentle and execute him. Yeah. Huron's basically afraid of the same thing happening to him. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, well, then I and don't, he had I don't... poor he had poor Matt to hang out with, and then Matt basically fell into a coma, and yeah. poor Huron's just left there by himself. Yeah. Uh, so. Last on the list is Nynaeve, who tells Egwene, um. She feels something, it feels almost like a storm coming, mm-hmm. which of course calls back to her previous life as the wisdom of Emmons Field, listening to the wind and hearing things or, or, you know, knowing and, and her being someone who can actually do it. Yeah. Whereas other wisdoms claim they can, but can't really. Um, so she is sensing some kind of trouble on the horizon as yeah. well. Yeah, and, and Egwene even mentions that it seems like now that she realizes what she's doing and she is had some training, that she's getting even better at it than she yeah. was. Because she was doing it subconsciously before. Right. Now she's actively doing it, and so she's actually getting much better at it. But I think uh, what's going on here... Uh, isn't a, I think what Nynaeve is feeling isn't a literal storm. Right. It's, uh, just like the storm she swore up and down should have been right on top of them back in the two rivers before winter night. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's straight up is, but to me it rings remarkably close to foretelling. I'm, I'm very glad that you said that. Because yeah. I was thinking along the same lines that it makes me wonder if, you know, she might have that talent. You know, and, I wonder if she does, at least to yeah. some degree. Obviously, I don't think it's, at least right now, it's nothing like what Elida can do. Right. Um, it's It still needs to be nurtured and trained. Yeah. But it, here's the thing is I, I picked up on this as I was reading through it the second time. In that context, the word foretell is used. Yeah. Uh, when Egwene is thinking about before, she mentions that Nynaeve had always been able to foretell the weather. Uh, but now mm-hmm. she she says something along the lines of it's uh, more uh, as much now it, it involves men as much as it does the actual weather. So I'm going to put a pin in that and say I, I'm I'm anxious to see. Uh, I think Nynaeve could have that talent. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we'll we'll find out. Yeah. Um, anything else we need to mention on those three and their their approach to Tarvalon? As we mentioned, Matt is getting worse. Even Varen's healing won't do any good now, or won't do much good. They just need to get him to the tower as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think, you know, the only thing really to say about Matt is just the toll, this is not just, like, he's not just slipped into a coma, like, his body is practically wasting away. 
Yeah. Like they mentioned the fact that his eyes are sunken in and he's like, he's, he looks thin and pale and like, it is basically like he's being consumed. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Egwene thinks to herself about how, you know, Matt's just a couple of years older than she is. Yeah. But he looks so much older because of what's yeah. happening to him. Yeah. Um, so they need to get him to the tower as quickly as possible. Yeah. And of course, that's not going to happen because somebody has to come along and stick their noses where it doesn't really belong. <laughs> My favorite group in the whole world of the Wheel of Time, we run into some white cloaks. And one particular white cloak, as we learn going through this discussion, this section, Dane Bornhold, the son <laughs> of Jeffrem Bornhold, who we assume was killed in action at Falma by Sean Chan. Yeah. Um. I still haven't seen a body, so I'm not 100% convinced that he is dead. But as far as his son knows, his father is dead. And in his mind, he was killed by Tarval and witches. Yeah, because uh, <clears throat> Child Bayar has yeah. gotten there ahead of us. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, has, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> and has obviously been telling his version of events. Yeah. You know, when, when this guy, when he first started talking to them, I thought it might have been by R. Yeah. Um, just the way he was, he was talking, the, the roughness with which he ta talked. Um, Varen's not having any of it. No. Um, and, and, and one question that I have is, you know, they, they mention it in the chapter of this possibly being the storm that Nynaeve sensed. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I'm not either. Yeah, uh, I, I think I, you know. I, I think there's there's something else on the horizon. Yeah. Well, they don't say after this happens that Nynaeve felt like the storm had passed. There's no yeah. mention of that, so I don't think we have any reason to believe this is the storm. This is yeah. definitely what Huron sensed. Oh yeah. But, uh, okay. Yeah, Huron did sense that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is definitely um, Huron knew what he was talking about, but I don't know. You know, it could be, but I don't think we're given any confirmation or reason to think that this is what Nynaeve is feeling. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there's something else coming down yeah. the line. Um, one thing we learn about at least a couple of our our characters is they don't know when to keep their mouth shut. No, and <laughs> th this is something I want to talk about for just a second with these three. Okay. Nynaeve is a little better, but when she lets her temper fly, she's just as bad as the other two. Yeah. But Elaine and Egwene are very typical teenage girls. They're roughly 17, and you feel it in these scenes, and going forward with their character for quite a while, they have this idea that they know better, they know what has to be, like, they are so self- uh, consumed that they think despite the fact that Varen is a full Aes Sedai, she has decades on decades on them of experience dealing with things obviously Egwene yeah. and Elaine we know better we can oh you yeah know, it, you know teenagers they know everything yeah. 
Yep. Uh, and you know how I know that is I was one once. <laughs> yeah. I was never a teenage girl, but I was a teenage boy and I knew everything back then. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it just, it really strikes home here. They really, somebody really needs to smack some sense into them. And I think it also is indicative of the fact that at the point that they're at, they should have been in the White Tower longer. Yeah. Having these uh, ideas knocked out of them. Yeah. Instead, they got to go off on their little joyride, you know, gallivant um, the world. And I, I don't mean it like that. I wouldn't like, call it, it a no joyride. <laughs> well, but compared to what they were supposed to be doing, it was like they got everybody else is going to see it as like they got a vacation. Well, yeah. And, and we see that. I think we see that come up a little bit later. Yeah. They had experiences that did nothing to dissuade them from the fact that they know better. Like yeah. Elaine, you know, is riding pretty high for her. Egwene definitely is dealing with her trauma, but yeah. Elaine is like, oh, we busted her out. We did this and we look at us. Woo. You know, she's definitely got a bigger head than she had when she left. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Elaine's a little bit of hers is, is a, is a haughtiness about, you know, from being raised, you know, for lack of a better term, as a princess. Yeah. You know, the daughter heir of Andor. And that's what gets her in trouble on this occasion because she, she makes mention of her mother. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, that's a long standing relationship between Andor and the White Tower, the queens of Andor and the White Tower. And Bornhold says something that. You know, I don't know, do we? I don't know that I trust him, so I don't know if we should take him out at his word, but he he at least makes the suggestion that maybe uh, Camelin and the White Tower aren't as tight-knit as they used to be. Yeah, I, I can only wonder why that would be. Let me think for a minute. Maybe, maybe because they maybe. lost the daughter heir of Andor? I mean, that <laughs> might be it. Just maybe. I mean, yeah. you know... The, the heir to a throne, the daughter of a, the queen of one of the world's strongest nations, vanishes in the middle of the night, and the tower can't produce her? Yeah. Especially when her brother is at the White Tower. Both of her brothers. Both of her brothers, yeah. <laughs> and they Which, don't have a clue where she yeah. is. <laughs> Egwene was kind of enjoying the thought of one of them, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I I can't imagine things going too great with Morgays once they have to admit that um we kind of lost your kid. <laughs> <laughs> and not just not just any kid, the the future queen of of your yeah. country, yeah. The uh, fact that like it, there are so many mm -hmm. enemies for Camelin, like basically yeah. they get the daughter heir and they could like pull strings, force Morgays into doing all kinds of like it is a political nightmare that Elaine has caused by leaving the tower like she did. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, with Egwene, hers was really just a slip of the tongue. Yeah. Because um, after the events we'll talk about in a second, um, she's kind of trying to, to mend the fences and mentions Tolman Head and that sets Dane Bornhold off even more because that's where his father died um, and yeah. he, he becomes even more uh, enraged because he thinks he thinks the Aes Sedai are responsible for it. Yeah. So and possibly these specific 
<laughs> I said, may, may, maybe so. If uh, if they were there on Tolman Head, then perhaps yeah. they were, at least in his mind. And um, everything that happens here, I think we're about to talk about, all that yeah. does is confirm everything that Bayar has said. Yeah. It's now concrete to to Dane at well, this point. Let, let's talk about what, what does happen. What what and and it starts with Egwene. Yeah, it starts with again her trauma. Yeah, because you know the white cloaks are threatening them, bullying them, saying they're going to take them off to the questioners, and her thought is, "I'm not going to be chained." Mm-hmm. And so she uses the power to create little spouts of earth. Yep. Just to scare the white cloaks away. She wasn't trying to hurt anybody. <laughs> I don't think she was trying to hurt anybody. And I actually agree. Uh, I agreed with Elaine. And when she said they weren't actually using the power as a weapon. <laughs> See, but there's a problem there. Because... She doesn't have that degree of control. She's basically erupting the earth. There could have been anything. There could have been a vein of metal. There could have been something buried there. There could have been large rocks. Mm. Anything. Those all become projectiles at this point with what she's doing. If anyone had hit, like, she could have killed somebody. She yeah. didn't mean to. Yeah. But, that's but because the power she is unleashing here, and that's the whole point. Is that the power has such potential that to make the rest of the world feel safe, they have to abide by these oaths. And what they're doing here flies in the face of that. It's careless use of power in a way that they can't predict. Like, she is doing a certain thing, but she can't control that stuff. Once she throws that, those rocks into the air, it's out of her hands she, where they go. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. I still, though, you know, I I was thinking the same thing, though, that Elaine says. That we, we weren't trying to hurt anybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I, I do see your point. It, it does make sense. Um, and again, it was not a wise decision. Um, but it's, it's a decision, at least for Egwene, that was made out of what she had dealt with, with the Sean yeah. Chan. It's a traumatic so experience, but we, it's based... Egwene right now is basically the equivalent of a toddler with an AK-47. <laughs> uh, I mean, she's yeah. gotten, because of the training, if you can call it that, basically the, the forced yeah. training of the Shan Chan, she has a lot more strength and a lot more control of being able to access the power, but she has not learned the strength of character to control her actions with it. Right. So she's she's walking around with a loaded gun. And not in a good state to be like she has. Yeah, it's a very dangerous situation with Egwene right now because of where she's at mentally. Yeah, um, and that, that's true. That is a a very very dangerous situation. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel for her though. I mean, she's I do. She's hurting and and she's responding out of her hurt. It was not the smart decision. And then for Elaine and Nynaeve to join her in that um yeah was was even more foolish which varen is very quick to point out to them yeah <laughs> um and and is gonna keep pointing out to them in the next chapter because i mean they they need to learn you know they, yeah. they need to to figure this out and 
this is the first introduction, I think, to uh, Angry Varen. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's I even like color. Yeah, I think it's even said at one point um, as the first time Egwene had ever seen Varen angry. Yeah. So. So and, yeah, uh, and she she is royally ticked off after this. Yeah. Uh, and for the rest of the time she's with them, she has no qualms letting them know it either. Like she is. Oh, for sure. She is done. Yeah. Like Varen, uh, I don't think Varen ever had any interest in babysitting these three girls back to the tower, but she did her job. But now, well, after what they've done, she's just over it. She's yeah. like, I want <laughs> no more. Take uh, these let's... children away. <laughs> Send them to their rooms. Get yep. them out of my hair. Um, well, we're maybe getting a little ahead of ourselves because there is, uh, you know, we, yeah. we we see this continuing into chapter 11. So you want to go ahead and get into that one? Sure. Uh, but right. just one more thing before we move on. Sure. Um, what kind of impact do you think this is going to have on Dane and his men that fled? Oh, well, I'm, I'm kind of with Varen. I mean, who knows what they're going to go and start, you know, the word, the rumors they're going to go and start spreading. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we already see it with, with Dane is, you know, He's not afraid. I mean, maybe he is afraid, but he's angry. Yeah. I mean, he's, he is, you know, he, he's, he's probably ready to go to war with Tar Valley. Yeah. And you have to think about this too. We spend a lot of time painting the white cloaks as the bad guys. And most of the time they are. But in this situation, Dane Bornhold is actually Fully and totally justified in feeling every way he's oh. feeling based on what he's been told and the yeah. things that have happened to him. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, he has, they have done everything possible to solidify in his mind how evil Aes Sedai are. Uh, and just his, they've done so much to shape his worldview going forward, in my opinion. Yeah. He's, he's the worst possible white cloak they could have done this to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for sure. All right, let's move into chapter 11, Tarvalin. Rumor has already reached Tarvalin as Egwene and company arrive in the city. Hiran takes his leave of the group to return to Shinar, and as soon as they enter the tower, Matt is taken away, hopefully to be healed. As Varen goes to speak with the Amarlin, Egwene, Nynaeve, and Elaine are confined to their rooms with orders not to speak to anyone. Or maybe I should say not to speak, <laughs> not yeah. not just not to speak to anyone, but they they were given orders not to speak, like not even a word. So, um, yeah, and there there is before we move past it, I do want to to bring this up real quick, okay? Because uh, I don't want to forget it. They are told by Varen not to speak. Mm -hmm. After Varen leaves, Shiriam says. Not to speak unless ask a question by a sister. Sure. He's not, they're not giving the same orders here. Baron is like, you go mute for the yeah. next, until the Armorland talks to you, you forget how mouths work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Shiriam is like, well, unless one of our sisters wants to pry into what's going on, and then you, you definitely need to answer us. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, Egwene, again, at times, doesn't know when to, Keep her mouth shut. Yeah. Uh, well, there's, there's a good little bit going on in this chapter. You want to to lead us through some of it? 
Yeah, so, I mean, we do get a little more inner reflection from Egwene after the events with uh, Bornhold and moving into the city. Yeah. Uh, and just coming into the city, we get this very much, again, this childlike uh, teenage mindset where she has convinced herself that she is oh, outgrown her home. Like, yeah. she's too big for two rivers now. Like, yeah. that might be a nice place to go visit. Sure, I want to go home and see family at some point. But I'm too big. Like, the world yeah. is too, you know, it's very <laughs> entitled. Yeah. Uh, how she's in her, her inner monologue here. Like, she thinks so much of herself that it, it drives me a little bonkers. Uh, but, again, it's typical for teenagers. I was a teenager once, too. It's real <laughs> easy for teenagers to be self-involved. Yeah. It's, it's just, also... Go ahead. Sorry. And when I was a teenager reading these books, it didn't strike me nearly as much. <laughs> but now, looking back, it just makes me groan inside. <laughs> yeah. You know, it also you know, comes across to me, too, because she's in a situation where she, she's a student. Um, you know, I, I've had experience. I think I was probably this way myself that, um, especially some college students that I've encountered, uh, who are in the process of, of getting a degree going through all of that. And if you're going to college, getting your degree, that's great. Keep doing that. But I, I've encountered so many that while they're still in school, think that uh, they know everything again. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and, um, once you get out of that situation and actually start working, you realize how much you don't know, uh, and yeah. you learn so much more, uh, in the years that follow. But yeah, I kind of see this with Egwene is she's in that situation where, you know, she, she's like a, a student that thinks she knows, you know, because she's studying to be an Aes Sedai, because she's seen parts of the world, a few parts of the world. She thinks she knows how everything works. Yeah. Um, and, and she she really has yet to have any real concept of just how little she knows, especially with the power. Like, she's feeling pretty confident with her abilities at this point, and she has no idea yeah. what, what I said I are actually capable of. Like, yeah. she has seen so little. Like, she's seen them heal. She's seen Moraine do some fireballs and grow big and stuff like that. But the real scope of what the power is capable of, she has no idea. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've been picking on teenagers and college students tonight. I just want to say for the record, uh, uh, you know, older folks can, can be a little, uh, be a little challenging at times as well. So uh, none oh, yeah. of us are perfect. We, we love college students. We love teenagers. Uh, we want everybody to be a part of this, uh, this fandom. And yeah. uh, so we don't want to alienate anybody, just no. speaking from experience. And as I said, I was both of those things once, and yeah. I know how horrible I was. <laughs> yeah, it's like when we shift perspectives back to uh, Rand at some point, you know, he's angst incarnate. Rand, yeah, Rand is, Rand is all angst. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it is, I think people give Robert Jordan a hard time sometimes for not writing the best uh, sometimes people will try and give him negative marks on how he writes his characters, but I think he does a pretty spot-on job, uh, you know, on how he 
how the characters act, especially the main characters. Yeah. Uh, especially when they, you when you think about their their respective ages. Yeah. Because um, we've we've all been there. Yeah. Um. And, and unless you're you know younger than sixteen, seventeen, listening to us, yeah. we've all been there. We know what that was like. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, Egwene here is 17. At this point, it's been long enough since they left. She might be getting close to 18. Yeah. I was 17 when I went off to college, and I thought I knew everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, sure enough. But, but yeah, we we get that. Um, but then I also wanted to mention uh, the city of Tarvalin itself. Yeah. Uh, it, we get this nice little tidbit there. Um, as they're see- we're seeing it through their their eyes, um, and it really, for the first time, because we've been to Falmo, we've been to Camelin, we've been to Kyrian, that were each these specific cultures. Yeah. Tarvalin is the first time we see what we, almost what you would see in, in uh, modern day America in New York City. It is this cultural melting pot. Okay. Uh, so many people from so many different lands, different ways of dressing, different ways of talking, different, and it, it's just very multicultural, which is really neat. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, I've I've said before one of the things I like so much about these stories is how well Jordan distinguishes his cultures. Yeah, and and. You know, many of them you can see he takes influence from the real world. And then I do like that, you know, and and where else but a city like Tarvalin? Yeah, because it's not tied to any specific culture other than the Aes Sedai. For for all to blend together like that. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, it's it's really neat. And it also does another uh, round of fermenting, like, what kind of era of time we're looking at here uh-huh. and firmly establishing that this is not like dark ages, yeah. middle ages. Like you've got shopmen, like you've got coaches, palanquins, like this is very much like a Renaissance era type setting. Yeah. And it really shows here in Tarvalin. Uh and not to be not mentioned, but uh the artistry of the Ogier stonemasons in Tarvalin, mm-hmm. uh, the way it's described here is so neat. Uh, how It's got this like nautic, like sea type theme. Like the buildings like shape into waves and like uh, you know, there's just these amazing descriptions here that really rings home to the artistry of the Ogier. Mm. Yeah. So. Well, but yeah, we, I, I love talking about the cultures and stuff like that, but I, yeah. I, I just wanted to make sure we hit on that. Cause it's, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, we, we already kind of touched on uh, Huron. Uh, maybe the reason he's so keen to get out of Tarvalin as quickly as possible, but uh, he's not just running away. No, he uh, is on a mission. Yeah. Uh, we would assume probably given to him by uh, Uno. Um, okay. Because, you know, he would have been, Uno would have been his commanding officer if not, well, actually, no. It may have been given to him by Rand, now that I think about it. Because in the case of uh, Ingtar's death, Rand technically was in charge of all the Shinarans. That's true. So we don't know who but... exactly has given him the mission, but 
You know, I would I would probably think it more likely to be Uno. Yeah. Because I did, you know, so far I at least haven't really seen any evidence of Rand really trying to lead the Shinarans. Yeah. So I, I think I think it's I, which I hadn't really thought about. You know, him being sent like this. I thought maybe he just kind of thought of it on his own. But more, it makes more sense the way you're describing it. And yeah, uh, if I had to choose between Rand and Uno, um, I'm definitely picking Uno. Yeah, it it seems like it was probably Uno. Otherwise, Huron even being with them doesn't even make any sense. Like, why would he not just be back with the rest of the Shinarans? Like, there's no reason for Huron to have been traveling with the, the women and Matt mm. other than this. And that is that he was basically going that way anyways, and so he joined up with them to help yeah. do what he would do and protect the women. But now that they are safely where they need to be, he needs to get back to his actual mission, yeah. is what I see here. Um, which is a very interesting mission and very important uh, to take the news of what happened in Falma, specifically of who and what Rand is, yeah. to the King of Shinar. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is a big deal. because well, yeah, in the Borderlands especially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that 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 definitely is is big news for for that part of the world where they've been fighting the shadow for ever. Yeah, yeah. So it you know it is not it is not just news of a possible false dragon. It is not news uh, even just of the dragon. It is concrete affirmed news to the king of one of the borderland countries that the last battle is here is, is coming. Like, it's no longer something that may happen generations from now. Like, you need to kick any preparations you've got into massive high gear, because the battle is coming. The dragon is here, and that can only mean one thing. And so he has, like, it is very important for Huron to make it back to Shinar, because that message that he's carrying is crucially important to the borderlands being able to prepare for what's coming. Because nobody else is headed that way. Like, if Huron doesn't take this message, the borderlands might not know until they hear rumors, and then they're just going to hear rumors that there might be a dragon. Hmm. They're not going to know in anywhere near the kind of time yeah. that we would need. They've probably, uh, probably already heard rumors. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Shinar is a pretty good chunk of... Like it's a pretty way, good ways. It still. is. It is. It is remote, I guess. Or yeah, but uh, still, even if they have, whether they have or haven't, they they need to know exactly what's mm -hmm. going on. Um, just quick question: the thought popped into my mind. Does and maybe maybe it's a um, maybe I already know the answer. But does does Huron know that the horn was sounded? Yes. Okay. He was so, there. So so that would be that would be added to the news as well. I mean, and that's another, you know, yeah. they, they already knew that the horn was found. Um, yep. Which they, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Huron has quite the tale to tell when he gets back. I mean, he's literally seen heroes of legend fighting alongside the dragon reborn yeah. who fought apparently the dark one in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, and we'll get some more on that here in a little bit in the next chapter. But yeah, uh, yeah it's very, very important what Huron is doing. It's not to be uh, downplayed 
it, it kind of gets glanced over here because it's just like, oh, I'm going to go do this. And the girls are all just like, got to take care of Matt. Got to get to the tower. Sure. Uh, but what he's doing on a world perspective is crucially important. He's going to get a lot of a lot of drinks bought for him in the tavern. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because he's got some stories to tell. Um, yep. Oh, right. Uh, what else? Uh, what's going on with Varen? When, so, when they arrive, like I, besides like besides I, the fact that she is like still extremely angry at the younger younger women, yeah, um, Varen is definitely doing what you would. I think Moraine would do the same thing here. She's feeling out for rumors and figuring out news of what's going on around her, while also trying not to share any of her own information. Uh, you know, she's asking questions, but they're very directed questions, not just. Uh, willy-nilly, she's doing the exact opposite of the girls. She's controlling her tongue, seeking out the information that she wants without giving away what she shouldn't. Okay. And she's trying desperately to get the girls to follow her lead and shut up. <laughs> uh, uh, so You know, look, we've, we've all been there. <laughs> we've we've yeah. all been in those situations where we should have kept our mouths shut and we didn't, but... Yep. Um, it's always funny and, when it happens to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's just it, the only thing it does raise, and I think this is probably something the girls are thinking as well is now that you've reached Tarvalin, shouldn't everything just be hunky dory? Why are we needing to keep things so secret? Oh no. <laughs> yeah, uh, the girls. I don't think, and they will probably hear soon. I don't think they've contemplated what exactly it is they're coming home to. <laughs> uh, which is, I think, leads us into our next chapter, unless you have anything. Well, you know, they're, uh, you know, I... Uh, Sherry, oh, well, no, Sherry, I calls, we, yeah. Sherry calls them runaways. Yeah, I th I'm sorry. I was, I was jumping into the next chapter when we still have more in this one. Yeah, well, well Sherry, <laughs> Sherry calls them runaways, which isn't exactly true. They were yeah. they were lured out of the tower by yeah, but, by 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 a member of the Black Aja. Yeah, but, um, but there was nobody that knew that. Right, right. Uh, as far as everybody is concerned, they went off on some adventure and now think they're just going to come back and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah, because and this is I I put a note here at the end of this notes for this. How long have they been gone exactly? Um. Well, it was, it was kind of, it was autumn when they left. Uh huh. I, I remember. I think I remember reading something about autumn's first chill. So I would say maybe, you know, early to mid autumn. Yeah. And now it's early spring. Yeah. So you're so looking at rough four to six problems. months. You're looking at maybe like. End of September, early October, until probably April. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I mean, yeah, probably about half a year. Six six months or so. Yeah, man. That, so that's that, a pretty substantial chunk of time. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and you it, you have to realize it took them so they were in winter. Uh, the beginnings of winter when the end of the last book happened. And it's... now it is full blown spring. So it's taken them because that's the other thing. 
they got to Falma by the ways, which only took a matter of like a day and a half. Yeah. And Rand and them got there by Flicker Flicker Gate. Uh, which took a so, few seconds, but also four months. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to realize the amount of time it's taken just for them to get back. The reason Matt's in the state he's in is because they been, didn't take the ways to get back here. Yeah. They came over land, which was months. Yeah, it's been so long. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so there's been a lot going on. And that also means that the daughter heir of Andor has been AWOL without an answer for the queen for roughly six months. Wow. So that you could understand uh, why things are probably a little bit on edge with Camelin right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> makes sense. It's not like she was gone for a day or two and then showed back up. Like she's been at this point, she may be assumed dead. Mm. <laughs> uh, so they are coming back. Not to like they. I think they walk in thinking they're like the triumphant heroes. You know, we went off and we did this and we we you know did all these things. They're not realizing that to everyone else in the tower, they're just a bunch of people who basically turn their noses up at hard work. Like they look, they are painted in a very bad light here, and Varen isn't changing anybody's ideas on that. Mm. You know, she's letting them get treated exactly like everybody thinks they should be yeah. here. Uh, there's no, Varen ain't, Varen is not about to say, oh, they were actually taken away by a dark sister. Let me tell you, <laughs> Leandrin, she's actually the Black Aja. Yeah. You know, Varen ain't doing none yeah. of that. <laughs> and thankfully, the few brain cells that are rubbing together up there keep the girls from blabbing about that too. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't, so, you know, I hadn't really thought about that, but they're they're the only ones who really know, aren't yep. they? Yeah, Varen and the girls are the only ones in the tower right now who have any idea what actually happened. Okay, the Amarlin doesn't know. Nobody knows. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's significant that they should remain so quiet. Now, Egwene almost, I think, spoke out, but yeah, um, Varen, Varen, rightly so, cut her off real quick. And yeah. um, I'm interested to see to see interested to see how long they remain quiet. Yeah, <laughs> they don't have a good track record so far. No, so they um, do not. But we're not going to get to find that out yet because we're going to shift to another perspective yep. in Chapter Twelve, the Amerlin Seat. Swan Sanche, the Amerlin Seat, paces her study. Worrying about things that have been set in motion under her watch. And what would happen if her true involvement were discovered? Varen arrives and delivers a report of all that has happened surrounding Rand, the Horn of Valir, and the Shanchan before attention turns to the three young women that Varen had returned to the tower. Um, is this the first time we're in Swan's Head? Um, or, have we, or have we been there before no, in the previous we've book? we've been there before okay. in... In the, in the beginning of the first, the second book, uh, okay. when she comes to uh, Faldara. Okay. Uh, I couldn't, I didn't know if, if this was the first time. I thought it might be, but I couldn't, I wasn't sure. She's clearly uh, bothered by what she does know. Um, she has this box on her desk that uh, is mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm sitting here like, what's in the box? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, man. An exploding box at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and might even burn whoever tries to look in it. Yeah. Um, but she knows... Well, her and Varen both get to share news with each other. Yeah. Varen tells her everything that she knows, but Swan also fills in some of the gaps. Um, first of and, all... And what what Swan knows makes a lot more sense after yeah. what Varen has to share, too. Yeah, I think the first thing, you know, at least that I, I wanted to mention was the news that she shares about the the false dragons mm-hmm. um, that were... Uh, in the world, one in Saldea, Mazram Time. Yep. And then some unnamed fellow down in Haddon Merc. Yeah. Which is just Tyr. north of Tyr. It's ba- it, yeah, it's just north, but it's basically Tyr. Like, I think it would technically be like an independent area, yeah. but it, it might as well, for all intents and purposes, be okay. Tyr. Yeah. Well, it was the tyrants who. Uh, killed him, captured him and killed him. And what happened was these, both of these men were in a fight. Uh, Were they fighting with Aes Sedai or were they fighting with other armies? Both. Both? Okay. Not The one in Tyr, just armies. There were no Aes Sedai involved in the one in Tyr. That makes sense. Uh, The Uh, one in uh, Saldea, Mazram Time, he was fighting in a battle there were Aes Sedai there trying to capture him. Obviously, they weren't fighting, per se, uh, because that would be against the oaths, but sure. they were there trying to capture and gentle him. Yeah. Um, and from the reports that the Armalin has been given, seemingly at the exact same moment, both mm-hmm. of these men fell. Like, literally fell. <laughs> Yeah, their horses... <laughs> their horses bucked them off, and uh, they fell. They were knocked unconscious. Their armies fled. Uh, Mazram Time was taken by the Aes Sedai, and this other fellow, whose name we don't know, whose name we will probably never know, was taken by the Terrans and killed. So, Mazram Time is still alive. Yep. Um, probably, you know, on his way to be gentled. Yeah, he should he should be on his way to the tower for trial and gentle yeah. at this point. Um and both of these happen simultaneously with a a bright flash and a vision in the sky. Yeah. Um why does Where that have we seen visions I, in the sky? I was gonna ask, why does that sound familiar? Oh, that's <laughs> right, because everybody in the world now has a drawing or a painting <laughs> of two men, uh, one of them a tall, you know, gray-eyed, red-haired youth fighting in the sky. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and and Swan, you know, when she gets the, you know, they, her, she and Varen kind of, you know, put all the pieces together. They figure out this probably happened the exact moment that Rand declared himself the dragon. Yeah. Um, and I like what Varen says about that. What was it that, you know, with um, Rand declaring himself, the pattern doesn't need any false dragons anymore? 
Yeah. So that's the, the point I made. I think it was back in the first book is the reason we're see we were seeing these tremendous numbers of false dragons. Like they were talking about three in one year. Uh, when, you know, usually you might have decades between them popping up. Yeah. Is that the pattern is spinning towards the last battle and there has to be a dragon. Yeah. And so the pattern kept tossing, like weaving itself around people who would become the dragon. Not that any of them actually could, but the pattern was, it's like they had this shape and it kept trying to stamp it on the pattern and filling it in with whoever it could grab. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. And until the actual person who fits that mold stepped into place. Say, but now, now we we at least we're we're pretty sure we have the real thing. Yeah, um, I would say we should be a hundred percent sure yeah, at this point. But we it, might, you know, there's maybe a little wiggle room for doubt still. Well, I at think, least in I think Rand's the reason, head, there is. The reason <laughs> I say that is, you know, so many people still when they when they talk about it. There, there is a certain uncertainty yeah. about them. You know, Rand especially. Rand is still doubting it. Um, I think some of the others, you know, they recognize that that's, you know, he's declared himself, but maybe wonder if not he actually is. But you're right. Yeah. We should have, um, we should be 100% certain because we know a, a lot yeah. more than some people know. Yeah. Um, the characters, I think, are still coming to terms with it and still have doubts. But as yeah. readers, I think at this point, we we should have a pretty solid grasp of the fact that he is. He is, yeah. Um, just because of everything else that's happening around him. The stuff he doesn't even know about. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but that is incredibly interesting how that works and how that at, at the exact same moment, everything seems to happen. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very fun to see stuff like that happen and who knows maybe this isn't the last time we'll see something like this happen the pattern is very tricksy <laughs> uh, so but uh well for for a while when when i was reading um i wondered they kept mentioning this this bag that was under matt's blankets at his feet and then varin takes it and is um, you know, very guarded with it. Uh, and I have to be perfectly honest because as you know, I forget everything. <laughs> um, it did not occur to me un- really until I think about halfway through chapter 11, the second time I was reading through it, that what was in this bag obviously <laughs> was the Horn of Valier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Varen. Well, then Varen's plan worked. <laughs> it did. <laughs> you, as the reader, were oblivious <laughs> to it. So. I, I, I had no idea. Uh, and then, yeah, as, I think I was about halfway through chapter 11, the second time I was reading, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. It's got to be the Horn of Valier. Um, yep. But, uh, which makes sense because, you know, this is news to the Amerlin, but. Somebody in this traveling party is now tied to the Horn of Valier. Yeah, um, which leads us to a very worrisome conversation yes. <laughs> with, with Varen and the Omerlin here. Oh uh, my goodness, this conversation. I Yeah. Oh. Poor Matt uh, is definitely, you know, this this conversation right here 
this is why most of the world doesn't trust Aes Sedai. Yeah. <laughs> it's, because it's, they are not the goody-goody gumdrop people that you want them to be. Yeah. They are... <laughs> uh, it's it's one of those it's one of those all for the greater good yeah type conversations which you and, know you know um fellow harry potter fans will know that that uh isn't always uh isn't always squeaky clean <laughs> no um, that's a uh, Honestly, you know, we the Omerlin here, Swan, is raised from blue. Yeah. Just like Moraine. And I think if you could call it that, I think that is one of the fatal flaws of the Blue Sisters. Right. Is they are so committed to their cause that they are willing to do some downright terrible things to see their cause succeed. Yeah, and Varen and Swan definitely, they, they cross, they, they broach that conversation. Yeah. Right here. And, you know, I, I guess really it's left uh, open ended. We don't really know. Yeah. And I think, too, and this is maybe this is me reading into it, but knowing Varen like I do, I think looking at this conversation, Varen is doing what Varen does in that she is seeking information and knowledge. I think Varen is purposefully leading this conversation because she wants to see what the Armorlin will choose to do. Mm. Varen is very careful not to give her opinion on what should happen. She is presenting things in a way for the Armorlin to make a decision, and Varen is waiting to see what she's going to say. Yeah. Like, it's very much in keeping with Varen's character. She is an information fiend. She wants to know. Uh, and so I think this very much here is her feeling out the Armorlin without the Armorlin really even realizing what she's doing. Yeah. Um, sounds like a Brown. Yep. <laughs> um, so, but the, the Armorlin is aware that Mattis to Viren, right? She is. Okay. I, I thought so. I just wanted to, I just wanted to get that confirmed. So maybe, yep. maybe that will influence her decision. Maybe. Um, but and it may you know, influence her decision the way that we don't want it to go. <laughs> yeah, because you know, Taviran are difficult puppets at the very best of times. Yeah, and what she doesn't want is yet another person to have to worry about. And there's a lot of power tied to Matt at this point. Yes, and there's also the fact that Matt is dying because of the corruption from Shadar Logoth, you have to think in your mind, she has to consider, even if they're able to heal him, what danger could that pose to his connection to the horn mm. and to the person that's dealt with that dagger for so long? Is he even the kind of person you'd want to have that kind of power? Sure. Uh, so there's a lot for her to have to consider. Um, and poor Matt can't do anything to defend himself. Nope. <laughs> nope. He's just either got to wait until he dies or wait until somebody heals him. I'm, uh, you know, hopefully, hope, hopefully they'll do the right thing. Yeah. By which I mean the the right thing, not the greater good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully this isn't the end for Matt. Yeah. I hope not. Because I like Matt. Oh, man. Matt, Matt is a little bit aggravating at times, but um, great character. 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, I think that only leaves one topic left in their discussion. Oh yeah, but we're not going to talk about that. They're they're back across the okay. they're back across the ocean. Nothing to worry yeah. about. Um, yeah, no, I, no, no worries. I, uh, I I wanted to like grab Swan like by her ears and be like, "Oh, will you pay attention to this?" Yeah, um, and we get a lot of uh, metaphors and everything because we get more character Swan here. You know, she was raised by yeah, a fisherman. She, she, she was raised as yeah, and so we get this analogy that she uses how. Uh, she tells Varen, they're away, you know, stop worrying about the lionfish out in the ocean when we have sharks circling us here. Yeah. And Varen turns it around on her, even though Swan doesn't completely misses what she's saying. But she says, you know, I heard once of a lionfish backing this shark into the shoals until it died. Yeah. Because it couldn't escape and it was running aground. You know, she's trying very much to... Uh, <laughs> to say, hey, <laughs> yeah, pay attention, and and, and Varen, Varen it has you know very strong belief that they're not, we're not done with the Sean Chan. No, because there's every indication that they're not. Right, even their very name. She's like, they're named the Forerunners. Yeah. That usually means there's more there, coming. There's more coming, <laughs> and the way that yeah, the way that Swan just dismisses it, not even wanting to consider. It. I mean, I know there are maybe more pressing matters at hand but to dismiss it entirely was a um a foolish thing to do and i i, I got a bad feeling about this yeah i have a lot of bad feelings about a lot of things with swan sante <laughs> uh, you know i am not the biggest swan fan yeah. but well, could some uh, of that be you know she for for an Amerlin, she's very young, isn't she? She is young because uh, um, she's. Uh, it's mentioned here in this chapter. She you know has had the stole for ten years. Yeah, she's only been Aes Sedai for twenty. Yeah, she is very young. So maybe maybe she's uh, <laughs> a little bit like our our other young women. <laughs> yeah, I think she knows more than she really does. Yeah, I would say Swan is probably in her 40s. Okay. Um, maybe late 30s. Um, yeah, probably you don't, late you don't 30s, think it, early 40s. You don't think it could be more than that, given, just given how long training usually takes? Well, we know that Moraine and... Okay, so... When they were novices, when Rand was born. Yeah. So they were girls. Um, okay. They would have been somewhere in their teenage years. No, no. Most... Weren't, weren't they raised to sisterhood shortly after? So they would have been accepted. Yeah, I think I think that I think they were accepted okay. when Rand was born and were raised shortly after because that would that would fit the timeline that, that Swan gives twenty years yeah. since she yeah uh, so... since she decided to sail these dangerous waters. I think she said. Yeah. So they were probably. So we're looking at her probably being in her mid forties. Okay. To late mid to late forties. Okay. That, uh, depending on how young she was when she came to the tower. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Maybe into maybe even into her early fifties. Yeah. Um. Because I I know that they talk time and again about how long it takes yeah. just to go from novice to accepted, and I guess it depends on when she came to the tower. Yeah. 
Because um, most of the time it's seen like, uh, it's almost very much like the X-Men. The people that, that, the girls that can naturally channel typically come to that power as they're be- going through puberty, basically. Okay. Um, so, so, so they come to the tower, would have come to the tower maybe as a teenager. Yeah. And several years as a novice and then several years as an accepted. Yeah. So yeah, maybe in their, I would just, maybe twenties, yeah, possibly early thirties when they get raised. Yeah. So 20 years since, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't think we're ever given a firm age on her. Uh, I don't think, but well, I would we'll, say she's not not past her like early fifties. Yeah. Well, we'll read on and find out. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. I think that's gonna do it. Let's move into some some final thoughts. I I we've said this many times throughout the the discussion tonight. Nobody knows how to keep their mouth shut. Nope. Um. And, and one other thing I wanted to mention was this uh, town or village of, what is it, Darien? Yeah. Uh, the, the description of that place that opens Chapter 11, man, I'd be moving out of there so fast. <laughs> <laughs> that place is like every, every, every war, every upheaval that comes along, that place is getting burned down and then rebuilt. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't want to live there. Um, for very long, if I could help it. You got any yeah, final thoughts? <laughs> oh. no, it, it's basically just this little trade village that keeps popping up outside the gates yeah. uh, and rebuilding itself, which is what cities do. They expand, yeah. um, but they don't have any of that protection that the walls would provide. Yeah. Uh, no, um, I think it's going to be a very interesting time upcoming in the tower here. And I don't think the girls realize yet exactly what they're in for. Uh, maybe they're getting an inkling now, because uh, I think I think they honestly thought they were almost going to get like a hero's welcome when <laughs> they came back. Uh, so very different welcome than they were expecting. I think I would say so. But uh, yeah, I I'm interested to see what happens next. I'm very worried for Matt. Uh. And I definitely hope that Huron makes it to Shinar. Okay. Yeah, I, I really, I really hope we get the Matt situation resolved quickly. Yeah. Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna be worried about him. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait till next week. Hopefully next week to yeah. find out. Uh, we'll find out something next week. Uh, what chapters are we gonna be looking at? So we are going to attempt chapters thirteen through fifteen. Okay. The way you said attempt makes me think that's it's, it's gonna be. It's going to be a, a trial. <laughs> well, we should be able to. It'll okay. just really depend on how in-depth we go into certain things. All right. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to yeah. that. I can't wait to, to get started preparing for next week's episode. Uh, I hope that those of you that have joined us tonight, first of all, thank you for joining us, and I hope that you'll be back next week uh, as we continue this discussion. Um Make sure that uh, you subscribe so you can get those new episodes uh, when they're released. Typically, we publish on Tuesday mornings, so uh, they should be there in your podcast feed um, when you get up, maybe on the way to work. I don't know. Depending on your whatever podcast app you use, it may be a little bit different, but we publish early 
on Tuesday morning. Of course, again, subscribe to make sure you get those. Uh, leave us a rating and a review. We would love that. Uh, we're on social media. I have to be honest, I haven't been as um, uh, good on the social media here lately as um, I need to be, but we are there. We're on Twitter, Instagram. We're on Facebook and YouTube. We are on TikTok. Uh, I still don't know what I'm doing on TikTok, but hey, we're there. <laughs> um, and you can email us at thewindwasabeginning at gmail.com. Uh, so you can reach out to us in any of those uh, media. We'd be happy to uh, chat with you, interact with you, tell us what you think, give us thoughts, theories, questions. Questions are always good because uh, we want to do a Q&A at the end of the season. And so we need questions to answer. Steven needs questions to answer. <laughs> um, I'm not going to be doing the answering. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, I guess that's going to do it for us for this week. Again, next week, We'll be in chapters 13 through 15. So go ahead and read those and be ready for that discussion next time. With that, that's going to be the end of it. So we'll sign off for now and say so long until next time. Ta-ta for now.